So um, I'm Jonah. As Pete said, um, I oversee our prison ministry, um, which is really fun. So I'm used to kind of um, preaching there with quite a lot of feedback. So feel free. You kind of rapidly realize that rhetorical questions don't exist in those spaces. So you'll kind of ask a kind of beautiful, deep question and you'll get a direct answer back straight away. So you know, you're meant to ponder on that. It's meant to be. Um, so feel free to shout, heckle, uh, please. I feel at home in that place. Um, I think that's all, yeah, I think that's all the detailed stuff. So we've been looking at Ephesians. Um, so we started Ephesians 1, which is a good place to start, and worked through to now where we're at Ephesians 4. And we kind of ended Ephesians 3 last week with Pete speaking about, um, and I'm, I might butcher this, um, speaking about how, how what we do comes from a deep well inside of us. It's, it's who we are internally. We act out of that place. Yeah. Great. And then it kind of, Paul ends that section with this beautiful prayer. In, in my Bible, it's like underlined from years ago. It says, what a prayer. Um, and I just, I, I love it. It's this stunning prayer where he ends and he's, he speaks about um, kind of God's immeasurably more. And he, he gets to kind of chapter four and there's like, as, as, as you're reading it or as I read it, I kind of imagine Paul kind of writing and then going... And now, and he starts this next section of like um, chapter four, which is basically um, if the first three kind of books are on belief or like our theology, like what we, how we speak about God, what we believe, then these next few books are basically about practice. What our ethics, how, how do we live out that stuff that we believe? So chapter four is kind of the beginning of that. He starts by saying, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And the two, two, I actually haven't read it. That'd be good. Can I, I'll read it. Let's read that first. Um, so chapter four, turn with me to chapter four. Actually, I'm going to grab my Bible just because it'll be easier. There we go. So... As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So that life that he's been speaking about for the past three chapters. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but to each of, each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives to his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up 
into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to the sensuality to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with, it, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off the false self and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer and must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. What a beast of a passage. Let's just pray before we go into it. Father God. Wow. Wow. (laughs) that's good we can listen to it again father god thank you so much that your presence is with us thank you so much that we um can gather around your word we can gather around the communion table um lord (laughs) yeah lord would we end in a place of deep joy today would we end in a place of knowing you more um and working to be united from that place in jesus name amen so two themes that we're looking at um, we're looking at unity. You heard it. He's like speaks about unity so much, Paul, in that section. And we're looking at the true self. Um, so I hope that's okay. If it's not tough, you can leave and I'll cry later or something. Um, so what does Paul say about unity? So he, he, we, in that passage, there's this one section where in 36 words, Paul says um, one six times. So there's this real emphasis, um, and even Deb's had a word even before. I don't know if you'd read Ephesians 4 recently, but Deb's had this word around the word oneness. And it was just, I nearly burst out laughing when you started saying it. So it's just like, it's, it's just what stands out as you read this section. Um, so Paul's kind of speaking into this unity, this distinctly Christian unity. What do we gather around? It's, it's the oneness of God. And the difference with Christian unity, which, which I think stands out in kind of light of other offerings of unity, particularly kind of secular projects, is that Christian unity isn't based on anything you've done or anything that you do or anything that you're a part of, um, any complexion that you have, any sexual orientation. That's not what Christian unity is based on. The Christian unity that Paul speaks about is this death to a life journey. So the Christian, Christian unity, and it can sound dualistic, but it's actually the opposite of it because um, it's based on something that God has done for us. 
Um, we can't earn this unity. Um, this unity is given to us as a gift from God. Um, and to understand um, what, basically what Paul sees as unity, we also need to understand what division is and what does division look like. Um, so there's three kind of major divisions in um, the kind of if, uh, church in Ephesus. Uh, it, it is written to the Ephesians in our Bibles. It was probably used wider, this is a bit of a rabbit hole, probably used wider for wider churches in like the Greco-Roman world. Um, but there were kind of three major divisions at that time. So the first one was um, the divide between kind of the church and the pagan world. Um, so there was this divide that basically uh, was growing in hostility towards the Christianity. Um, so Christians were getting treated worse and worse. Um, and they were trying to live distinctively, but it was becoming difficult. Um, and then the second divide, so that's the first divide, second divide is between Jew and Gentile. So it's this divide that basically this, there was this faith that was emerging, the Christian faith that came from Jewish roots. And it had this distinctly Jewish identity still. It was living in the story of God. But it was also they were trying to be different. And they were saying, no, Gentiles are allowed in. Everyone's welcome in this faith. And then the third division, which I think is really fascinating and speaks deeply to our time, is this division between households. So churches would have been made up of smaller households. So when Paul is emphasizing the one, he's saying that all you people that I'm speaking to that make up the church in Ephesus, you need to be united. So there are these kind of obvious divisions between the kind of Jew and Gentile that we speak about a lot. But then there's also this more like nuanced division between the households where they would have had, you know, they would have been different socioeconomic backgrounds. They probably would have done slightly different practices and they would have had slightly different views on stuff. So Paul is speaking to all these divisions, basically. And in many ways, I think like it's, it's really easy sometimes to take quite direct translations and place them onto our context. But I, I do think there is that here. Um, we live in like an increasingly divisive time. Um, we, we kind of um, are getting to a place more where there's growing hostility towards the church. Um, there's a lot of kind of black and white thinking. We exist in kind of dualistic camps. I find myself doing it all the time. And we identify in kind of groups, tribes, and kind of collections of people which aren't always bad things. I'm a uh, big Liverpool fan. I resisted wearing my Liverpool shirt on the last day of the season today. Um, but abs, I remember watching football at Liverpool game with one of the first times with you and um, you said something like when Liverpool scored you said I haven't seen you that happy since our wedding day um, <laughs> which is quite bleak um, but I, I, so I, I love football that is, my, that is a tribe for me I, I find belonging with other Liverpool fans as you can tell from my distinctly Scouse accent um, and we're, so we are like, we're these tribal beings. We, we, and that, that's okay. It's, it's like built into us. There's this, um, this really fascinating um, neuroscientist called David Eagleman. And he did this experiment where basically he'd sit Pete in a chair with um, a headset on and he'd monitor the brain activity um, with an MRI scanner. I'm going to butcher the science of this, but you'll get the sentiment, so that's fine. And um, he'd bring an, someone else in who was a Christian. He'd say to Pete, this person is a Christian. And then they'd put a pin in that person's finger, and there'd be a huge spike in the brain activity. Pete would feel compassion to someone that he related to as another Christian. 
And then, so they, they did this, and they recognized that, you know, it, it, in built in us is this compassion. We, we prefer those in our group. But then they pushed this experiment further, which I just find hilarious. So they basically gathered a load of people in a room, and they flipped a coin, and they said, you guys are in the heads group, you guys are in the tails group. And then they did the same experiment again, and there was the same spike for the arbitrary group that they just made. So there's this, there's this inbuilt thing in us which says that we, we are tribal people, and that's not a bad thing. It's really easy to kind of just be like, well, no, I'm just completely open to everything, and you know, we're not tribal at all. We, we are. It's like built into us, and that's okay that we're given these unique identities. Um, but it's when they become the thing, when they trump the truest thing. And when it becomes divisive, that's when it becomes a problem, and that's what I think Paul is speaking to. We kind of limit ourselves to uh, these camps of right and wrong, and we kind of gradually build our circles smaller and smaller. And what I think happens when we find belonging with those that we only agree with is that the depth of intimacy that we have, and I think this is what Paul is speaking to, the depth of intimacy that we have goes to the point of agreement, which then just becomes an echo chamber. Whereas what I think we're called to do is, is actually find unity and seek unity in the midst of disagreement. Because unity isn't an absence of conflicting views, tribes, and identities. Unity is the decision to exist within them, within relationship, in spite of them. And it's the belief that love can exist regardless of disagreement. Thank you. Thanks, that's good. I'm enjoying that feedback. Um, if it's negative, though, please don't. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm joking. You can. You can. Um, and I think there's, there's, this fundamental, there's this fundamental truth in Christianity that cannot be moved, but I think there's an abundance of opportunities for disagreement. Um, and I actually think it's a healthy um, sign if there are disagreements. I lived in a community house for years, which was hilarious. We shared food um, and clothes to a certain extent. Five, five guys living in one room. And um, there was so much disagreement. And it was one of those things that people be like, wow, that must be amazing. All Christians living in... And I'd, I'd go and see apps and I'd be like, I'm exhausted. We've just been disagreeing constantly this past week. And I think the, ch the church's role in this is like, in the, fa in the face of chaos, our response isn't one of certainty. I don't think it's one where we just go and cling to like all our good ideas, our doctrine, our morals, um, and all the things that we think define us. It's like the utter surrender to the goodness of God. The, the God who came, that's so ironic, the God who came down as a fragile baby, I was about to say, lived and died and set us free. That's who we gather around, and from there we work from that place. That oneness that Paul speaks about is that like deep, deep identity where we can go smaller and smaller and discover that and work out from there. And there's, there's a distinct call, I think, rising on the church to be people and places of peace in the time of division, to have our identities rooted in the good news of Jesus Christ that prophetically speaks to the world and says, no, we can exist in disagreement in unity still and in love and in peace. So what, what we are united around is vital, but how we are united is also vital. 
So Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So firstly, we're just going to look at these phrases, humble and gentle. Humble is like a really funny word. The Romans would have made fun of the Jews and the Christians for saying this. It was like almost this derogatory term. They would have kind of scoffed at them. They would have been like, what? You want to be humble? And if you remember, like Pete at the start spoke about how the culture then was all about attaining. It was all about um, climbing and trying to get to the top. And basically, that the Greek translation for humble here basically means to push others in front of you to lift others up. So the Romans would have heard this and be like, what idiots, like, what, why do you want to do that? And then Paul pairs it with like this word gentle, which then basically refers to almost politeness, but it's not like this kind of uh, floaty politeness where you're just like, oh, whatever. It's like this polite, politeness where it like basically is hard to be polite. So you've got these two words. You've got this basically um, humility, um, humbleness, that you're pushing people up in front of you, you're preferring the other, whilst also then doing that when that's really hard. And then he pushes it even further, and he says, with patience. And what he's saying with patience is it's more, it's closer, really, to persistence in one's convictions. That's really what it's saying there. So this isn't like a passive thing where we just go, well, you know, the world's saying this, I think this, but... God calls me to be pretty passive and humble with this. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, be certain of what you believe. Hold on to your convictions, but do it in a humble and gentle way that pushes people before God. And then finally, bearing with one another in love. This is my favorite. I read a commentator who said, the, the Greek is basically closer, that, that bearing with one another in love, to um, when it's annoying. So it's like this concept that actually bearing with one another in love is like when you're pushed to the point of like flipping heck, you're annoying me with like that view. That's when it's meant, you're meant to then kick in that humility and gentility. But to do kind of the action bit, I think the kind of last thing that we're just going to look at, yeah, great, is this kind of idea that Paul speaks to of the true self. I think to be able to be uniting people and people of, pla- people of peace and places of peace, we can only do that from that place that Pete was speaking about, from that deep sense of self in God. So now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. And then I'm just going to fast forward. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And what I, what I want to speak about here is it's not this moment where we choose to commit to Jesus. I do think there's a moment where when we commit to Jesus, there is this mystery, this beautiful thing that says you've gone from dead to alive. There is that. And I think, I think we can emphasize that too much sometimes. And what I want to speak to is this idea of this, what Eugene Peterson would call this long obedience in the same direction. It's when our lives become this discovery of who we deeply are in God. 
It's not this kind of moment of bang, you're dead to alive. I think that, ha that can happen to everyone. I think actually discovering your true self is a much more nuanced and deep thing that takes a whole life journey. So what is it? What is the true self? Um, we had an image at the start of this series of these counterfeit goods. Um, I want to say it was like this deeply prophetic moving image. Abs and I had just come back from Morocco and been around a lot of fake stuff. Um, so I think it was probably massively influenced from there, but I think God spoke through it. And um, the idea was of these counterfeit goods was that that feeling that you get when f I, I remember this moment where I held this camera there was a really expensive camera, but I could tell immediately it wasn't real. It had like, the weight was off, the leather was slightly weird, the buttons kind of felt like they were falling to pieces. And then when you hold the thing that's new, you're like, when you hold the thing that's real and new and authentic, you're like, oh, that's it. Like, I can't really explain it. And I think what God wants to do um, when he, today, what, he's, what, what we're getting spoken to about in this, particularly when he speaks about true self, is that replacement of kind of counterfeit goods for the um, authentic piece, the authentic thing that we're given, the true self. And the true self is who we are prior to all the stuff we've accumulated, all the mistakes we've made. Um, all the good stuff we've done, they're all, they're all fine, they're all important. Um, and a lot of the time, those aren't bad things. But the true self is what comes before that. It's completely God-given. It's our deepest, deepest identity. And it's a complete paradox because it's completely available. God is constantly trying to reveal our true self to us. But it's also completely insearchable. We're, we're, we're always seeking out more of who we are in God because God is inexhaustible and we're found in him. And I think it's that bit in Psalm um, 139 where it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The psalmist can say that. He's saying, I know that full well because you, I am your work. So he's speaking from this place of deep conviction in who he is. One um, spiritual writer says that it's the little bit of heaven that's installed in us at the beginning. And Augustine, a really famous quote, you've made us restless for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I know you've made us for yourself, not restless. And we're given our lives to discover this journey of dead to alive it's not like a pretty sentiment or like a dualistic kind of opposition. It's this weird concept that to be fully alive, we need to die to the things that we think define us. And more often than not, this happens through a lost job or um, when you make a really bad mistake. For me, that was when I felt like I discovered just the depth of more of the depth of who I was in God. Or it happens when you lose a loved one. That always leads to a deeper discovery of who we are in God. And I think what, what we can kind of shy away from often is our brokenness and um, the things that we think we've done wrong or the bits that we're not really sure about. Surely God can't love that. Like, I don't think that's possible for God to love that. Or I don't think that's possible for God to accept that. But actually, when we, dis when we discover that God sees that fully and he loves that fully, that's when we go on this journey to a deep, deep sense of self in God. And from that place, we can work to be people of peace and places of peace. 
um, there's this quote that I just want to read out from one of my favorite writers called Thomas Merton. The Christ we find in ourselves is not identified with what we vainly seek to admire and idolize in ourselves. On the contrary, he has identified himself with what we resent most in ourselves. For he's taken upon himself our wretchedness, our misery, our poverty, and our sins. We will never find peace if we listen to the voice of our own fatuous self-deception that tells us that conflict has ceased to exist. But we will find peace when we can listen to the death dance in our blood, not only with equanimity, but with the exaltation, because we hear within it the echoes of the victory of the risen Savior. When I read that to Abs last night, she was like, that's intense. But I think there's something really deep in it. We discover who we are in Christ when we recognize that Christ sees all of us and loves all of us. Not the parts that we just uh, want to present, but when we bring all our rubbish, all our, I nearly said a different word there and realized I was being recorded, all our shame when we discover who we truly are um, in the arms of a loving father. I think in the places of desolation, the good news erupts in power. That's what the good news tells us. So to be united, to be people of peace, we need to accept the reality of that. We need to accept the reality of our lives. And we will then become able to be deeply united. Because we'll, we'll recognize what truly matters in the life of God and in the light of the good news. And we'll be able to finally be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Should we stand and pray? Oh, Father, thank you that you made us. God, that you made us. For you created my most being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days, were, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God, thank you that we live in that truth. That we can say that psalm and know the truth of who we are in you. Would we discover more of who we are today in you? Would our brokenness and the mess that we think we have to hide be brought to you. And would your power, your life erupt in power, God. Heal us today, God. May we become places of peace, people of peace, united around the lamb that was slain. In Jesus' name, amen.